but we're going to be in John chapter 3, a text that should be familiar, at least one of the verses we know most people in America know of it. I would say in the past that they knew the verse itself, but all they know of it, most people that are and unchurched is it's that scripture that's in the back of the football game or that the guy, the football player will get fined tens of thousands of dollars just for having the reference on his face. I find that ironic as well. But let's go before the Lord. Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together, to spend time at your feet, to be in your word, Lord, to grow in you, to grow in your grace and knowledge. We pray that you would speak to us through your word, that we'd be obedient to your call. And Father, we just pray for a a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit this evening and a a fresh growth, fresh perspective for this week. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And a Pharisee is a man of the New Testament. He's a very conservative, religious scholar. And these religious scholars, these Pharisees, they weren't just teachers, but they were also rulers. There were priestly laws that everyone had to obey. So they would go around with their notepad and their notepen, metaphorically speaking. And if you saw this man walking down the street, you would cross to the other side. Oh, there comes the Pharisee. And by chance, if you stumbled across one, he'd start writing you up. Oh, I didn't see you at the synagogue. Oh, have you been keeping the commandments? Oh, have you said the Shema every morning? Are you being faithful to the Lord? And he would just start reciting these different laws, and everything was against you, everything that you've been doing wrong. These Pharisees were notorious as a group for making sure everyone knew how holy they were. They, pray, they prayed louder than everyone else. They wanted to make sure they were heard publicly. They wanted the best seats at the parties, at the synagogue. They wanted to be noted. They had special robes. They had special clothes. Everything was about being singled out, about being holier than everyone else. And we see here, back in John chapter 3, that the Pharisees, they were trying to spy out Jesus. They were jealous of him. Everywhere he went, there was crowds. Everywhere he went, there were miracles. Everywhere he went, there was teaching of the, of the gospel, the good news. And, and they were envious of him. How come he's getting all these crowds? What's so different about him? He's not one of us. He didn't go to our schools. He didn't have our training. There's something wrong here. And this guy, Nicodemus, this Pharisee, As it says in verse 1, a ruler of the Jews comes to Jesus by night. In verse 2, he wants to sneak in. He wants to ask him some questions. And he comes in and he gives him a compliment right off the bat. Rabbi means teacher. And he says, teacher, 
putting Jesus at a higher a level, higher authority. We know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's pretty powerful stuff there. You think, man, this guy, he's got it going on. Nicodemus, he's, he's right on. And Jesus doesn't come back and say, ah, oh, you're absolutely right. You've been doing a great job. You're absolutely right. I am. Now, Jesus comes back with this in verse 3. And said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Cannot even see the kingdom of God. This is a man who's living his whole life, and he's living his life thinking that he's speaking for God, that he is God's vessel on the planet. But Jesus says to this man, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom. This word born again in the Greek means born from above. Unless you're spiritually born, especially unless you are completely renewed, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. This is a man that has religious robes. He has the religious rites. This is a man who spends his time in the temple. This is a man that goes around and he is a ruler among the Jews. And Jesus says to him, all that stuff, unless you are born again, means nothing. As we celebrate communion and we celebrate Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his body, his blood, and we partake together, no, no one of us comes to him in our own righteousness. None of us comes to him as a Pharisee and says, well, I'm the pastor. Well, I sang the worship. Well, I've been reading my Bible. I'm at a special level. Jesus tells us, as he told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, unless it's through Jesus Christ, unless it's his work, it's nothing. We have nothing to offer him. He offered himself to us. It's not of works. Salvation is not of works unless anyone should boast. It's by faith, faith alone. It says in Ephesians chapter 2. Our righteousness, that means our holiness, our robes, they're not physical, they're spiritual. Our authority is not physical, it's spiritual. It's from above, it's from Jesus. And so we're going to spend some time, we're going to pass out the element, the bread, and we're going to thank him, coming to him with nothing, with empty hands, knowing that it is only from him. So let's wait together until we're all served, and then we'll partake together. In verse 4 of our text, Nicodemus has something to say to Jesus. He says, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know, we look at that question and we say, you know, oh my gosh, he's being ridiculous. But these are questions that we ask all the time in our private life. He's saying it, what we're all thinking at that moment. How can you be born again? We've already been born. We're flesh. We're blood. 
I don't understand what this spiritual rebirth is. And Jesus answers him in verse 5. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, it is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now Nicodemus is really confused now. He hears what the Lord's saying, but it's not registering. And so Nicodemus answers him back in verse, in verse 9. He says, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now, Jesus is speaking of himself. This rebirth comes through him. And he is the witness of God. And he showed us earthly miracles, healed blind eyes, healed withered hands, cast out demons, fed thousands, walked on water, stilled the storms. Those are earthly things that he showed us to prove to us, to show us that the things he's talking about in heaven are absolutely true, things that we cannot see. How would we know that we have eternal salvation? After his crucifixion and resurrection, the disciples, they, they questioned one another. And it was Thomas that said, I won't believe unless I see his wounds, unless I put my hand in his wounds. And Jesus allowed that. Thomas was able to put his hand in the wounds of Jesus. And Jesus said, blessed are you who believe, but blessed, more blessed are those who have not seen and believe. That's, that's you and I. We have been given earthly proofs. These men gave their lives for this testimony, and no man gives their life for a testimony they know is a lie. No one's going to die for something to hide a truth. No one is going to to die making up a lie. They're not going to die for a story that they make up. Yes, men have been deceived, but these men knew Jesus intimately. And their lives are all an earthly testament to what Jesus said is true. Their lives are a testament that Jesus literally died and he literally rose again. It wasn't metaphorical. It wasn't spiritual. But it wasn't that resurrection in and of itself that saved us. It wasn't just his physical body coming back to life. He raised other people from the dead. There were people in the Old Testament. Elijah raising the widow's son. 
People have come back from the dead miraculously. It was a testimony of Jesus that spiritually all the sin of mankind was poured out on him. We couldn't see that. We didn't know that battle. And there was a physical proof that went along with that spiritual sanctification. The righteousness of God in one man and all of that righteous punishment poured out on one righteous, holy man, the Son of God, for our sins that we all may be saved. Simply by believing in Him and being born again, receiving that new life by faith, by faith alone. Remember, I don't want you to forget, Nicodemus is the epitome of all religious law. All of the habits, religious habits that we give ourselves to make us think that we're somehow better than anyone else. We are not more righteous than anyone. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is Jesus' righteous life poured out upon us that makes us holy, makes us separate, makes us sanctified. Jesus is telling Nicodemus this truth. He's telling him that it is he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And with that, we're going to receive the cup that represents Jesus' life. As he was lifted up before all of us, his literal blood was poured out that we could have life. And let's wait once again until we all receive. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you gave your only begotten Son, pure and holy and perfect, and he sacrificed himself that we could have life eternal with you. Father, we know this symbol is but a symbol, but it's, oh, what it represents, Lord. And so thankfully we all come together and we all want to receive this token together in remembrance of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's all partake. Now, Jesus hasn't finished. We're going to, as he tells Nicodemus here in this room at night, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, it's a, a verse that John three sixteen that we, you know, it's said so much. We sing it to our little kids. We see it at the football games that we almost, because of its quantity, we lose its quality. I mean, look at these words for a moment. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the world. We have sinned against him. 
We are his enemies. The Bible says in the book of Romans, when we were enemies with God, he loved us. He loves us. But he won't overlook that sin, and so he gave his only begotten son. It's not a very uh, far stretch of the mind, but please, if you were to ever, if something bad were to happen to my son, my daughter, it doesn't take very long to invigorate passions. And yet the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, was able to give up his son for us. Not only did he give us his son and then just make us disappear. No, he gave up his son that we could not perish but have everlasting life. Simply by believing in him. Don't lose the gravity of this. He could have just wiped us all out and said, I, that's enough. You guys have sinned. You've had your moment in the sun. But now I'm going to just, you're going to go into oblivion, nothingness. On a side note, that's what the Buddhists believe that they are trying to attain to is this nothingness. But God made a way that each and every one of us, through faith in his Son, may not just have righteousness, be spared from everlasting punishment, but that we would have everlasting life simply by believing in him and accepting his righteousness, his gift. For God, verse 17, did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There are so many that just want to remove the rest of this conversation. They just want, oh, God loves the world. Everlasting life for all. You must Place your trust in Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way of salvation. And the world just gets so upset about that. They want to believe that all ways reach God. They are mutually exclusive. You cannot have one and the other. They all contradict themselves. If there was one cure for cancer, one, we would be lining up, we would be just having parades and celebrating and giving medals to the person that found that one cure. And no one would question, well, why can't we have three or four or five cures? There is one cure for sin, and that is Jesus Christ. And we should be the same, having parades, and we should be having parties and just praising God that there is one way of salvation. It's through belief in the Son of God. In verse 19, Jesus says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. It's interesting. Think of what, in our, just our world, just our practical world, in our town, what's open after 11 o'clock at night? What's closed? And what's closed at 7 a.m. in the morning, 8 a.m., and what's open? Uh, why is it we keep our kids in at night? Don't go out at night. I'm the last generation that played outside. <laughs> in our generation, the lights come on, you had to be home. As soon as the lights turned on, I said, oh, you better be in the house. 
What, what things may, might we be hiding in the dark? Don't want anyone to know about. But Jesus comes and he illuminates that dark place. He casts out darkness. Where he is, there can be no darkness at all. And you have allowed him into your heart, into your life. You have been born again. And the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. And where there is that light, there can be no darkness at all. He has absolute victory because he has absolute authority and he's given it to us by, you guessed it, faith, not by works, not by works. On Sunday mornings when people are are struggling and they're touched by the message and they come up on Sunday morning to talk to me afterwards and maybe they talk to you afterwards, they always want to know what to do next. They want to know what they have to do to get right with God. I say, have you accepted Jesus Christ in your heart and you want to ser- seek and, and serve him? Oh, yeah, 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 but, but it, what else? But what else? And they get so frustrated that I don't have a to-do list for them because they just want to start m- knocking these things out. There is no to-do list. Jesus does all the work. This process of sanctification, this gradually changing you more and more into his image, is done by Jesus Christ alone. We must yield ourselves to him. We have to quit fighting him and simply allow this light to cast out the darkness in our life. By loving Jesus more, praying more, reading more, fellowshipping more, just having more of him in his life, he will cast out all fears. He will cast out all sin. He will cast out the enemy with his presence in your life. No, we don't have discipleship classes here. That's for Sunday morning. That's a discipleship class. No, we don't have leadership training. We don't have uh, 10 best ways for evangelism. We We don't do those things. Because any moment that we are taking the focus off the work and the power of Jesus Christ through the Spirit and through the Word of God is time that we're just wasting time. Wasting time. Now there's times when we can do those things. We're studying the Lord. We're studying God. We're studying His attributes through the lives of godly men and women. That's all right. We're, we're not burning books. We're not saying that, you know, nothing but Scripture all the time, but everything has to point towards Scripture. Everything has to point towards Jesus. Everything all the time. Because there's the only power in the name of Jesus. He is the Word. In verse 20 it says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. There's nothing more terrifying to each and every one of us than to be exposed. If you knew who I really was, if you knew who I was in my thought life, if you knew who I was when you fill in the blank, all of us are trying to put our best face forward all the time. We want everyone to think highly of us all the time. But Jesus loves you. He knows you and he's chosen you knowing all of your faults, all of your ugliness, all of your sins, everything that you're terrified if they only knew. 
they wouldn't accept me anymore. He's, he knows that. He knows it, and he's accepted you. He's sanctified you. He's cleansed you by faith. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, and they have been done in God. Deeds that are clearly seen, but they're done in God. Now let's roll ourselves back here to John chapter 3. And imagine Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lion and the Lamb, has you in a room at night. And now put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes. Jesus literally had this conversation with Nicodemus face to face, could smell his breath, could feel his presence, could see his words, mouth, the reflection in his eyes, the glow of a candle on his face, as the Lord of all creation is sharing these eternal truths with him. The gravity of the eternal word of God that will never pass away being spoken to you face to face. And it may not be a literal human touch for each and every one of us, but Jesus is speaking to you. His salvation and giving himself on the cross is just as personal between you and him. I was just talking with a brother in the fellowship another day, the other day, and as we were praying, the Lord just impressed upon my heart, you know, how grand all of creation is, all of the stars, all just showing how big and mighty and great our God is. The Grand Canyon, the the nations, the continents, the waters, the deep, the mountains. He, he's created it all. He holds all creation in his hand. And yet the Bible says he knows each and every one of us so intimately. He's counted every hair on our head. There's nothing too small. Because in our human minds, we think the bigger it is, the less the little things matter. Like he's so big that he overlooks the details. But he's intimately involved in every aspect of your life your sanctification, your growth, your prayers, your ugliness. He's there. He's speaking to the Pharisee in each and every one of us. He's speaking to the person that thinks a little bit more highly of themselves than they ought. And he humbles them. Just as he humbles Nicodemus, he humbles each and every one of you, and he humbles me through his word, just speaking because as, you, as you're thinking of Nicodemus, you're, you're seeing him sitting at the table, you're seeing him in the room, and you have to realize that not only is God speaking to Nicodemus face to face, he has descended from the throne room of God and became a man just to share this message with him. Oh, the depths of all creation, the depths of humanity, the depths of the spiritual war that he has crossed over to reach you and to talk to you, to descend to your level, my level, to condescend to us, to share how much he loves us. And then that's it. They go their way. Nicodemus leaves the room. Jesus goes off and continues teaching the disciples, going out into the world. And we're going to do the same thing here this evening. We've spent time together sitting, communing together with God and with each other. We, we spent time here 
at the foot of Jesus, receiving from him, and then that's it. We're going to go about our, our business. But as we finish our, or close our study, we're going to spend some time praying with the Lord and speaking to him and just having, continuing that communion together, praying for one another, praying for brothers and sisters across the world, for our government, and simply just praising God together. And let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your, for your love and for your mercy, Father. And we praise you so much that you came to us. You spoke on our level. You loved us when we were enemies with you. You've reconciled us through the cross, Lord. Just pray that you would guide and direct us as we fellowship and pray with you this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.